0: Episode 99, The Fulfillment of the Land Promise to Abraham It's just irony when you consider that Abraham was concerned about not having children, and his inheritance falling to a man named Eliezer of Damascus, when he hasn't had children when in Genesis 15, Abraham receives the land promise that his descendants would control territory from Egypt to the Euphrates River, for it is the taking and the garrisoning of Damascus by David, over 900 years later, that leads to the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 15. Here is the land promised to Israel. Genesis 15:18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cabanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. This promise can be dated to around 1900 BC, and we arrive close to the 1000 BC mark at this point in our podcast. Joshua was a military hero, but he didn't fulfill the land promised to Abraham. In this episode, we discuss the outrageous campaigns of David, only a few years into his kingship, and we discuss the fulfillment of Abraham's prophecy that Israel would control territory from the wadi of Egypt to the river Euphrates. All right, before we get ahead of ourselves, we have to paint a map of the geopolitical situation around Israel at this time. David had a secure border to his south because he raided Amalekite lands for years. Egypt to the south and the west is not as concerned with Israel in this generation, but this will surely change in the next generation. David has beaten the Philistines and forced them back to their lands hugging the Mediterranean coast. Wars will continue, but David clearly has the upper hand. North of Philistia was a Phoenician territory encompassing ancient Tyre and Sidon and further up the coast. This territory will be loyal to Solomon later, and provided David with building materials for his palace. To the east, there's a lot of kingdoms, so bear with me, and I'll try to make it simple. Once you cross the Jordan, begin southeast of Israel, was the Edomites, the descendants of Esau. David will war with them. Above the Edomites was the Moabites, and above them the Ammonites. These are the descendants of Lot's two daughters, you know, the ones that had incest with their father. At the moment, David has cordial relations with the Ammonites, but this will change over time in a later episode. So across the Jordan, from the south to the north, the Edomites, the Moabites, and the Ammonites. To the north of Israel, in modern-day Syria, there are two kingdoms, Zobah and Aram. Aram had modern Damascus as its capital. Aram will be around for at least 10 generations and will be Israel's consistent rival for ages. If that wasn't enough, there was a large kingdom which controlled a part of modern Turkey and western Mesopotamia. This kingdom was called Hamath. Hamath controlled stretches of land that crossed the Euphrates River. Within a one to two year period, David and his men will be fighting or making peace with all of these nations. So sticking with our timeline, which is subject to change since there's so many dates out there, we're around 1002 BC. Here's the account from Josephus. A little while after this, David considered that he ought to make war against the Philistines and not to see any idleness or laziness permitted in his management, that so it might prove as God had foretold to him that when he had overthrown his enemies, he should leave his posterity to reign in peace afterward. So he called together his army again, and when he had charged them to be ready and prepared for war, and when he thought that all things in his army were in good state, he removed from Jerusalem and came against the Philistines. And when he had overcome them in battle, and had cut off a great part of their country, and had joined it to the country of the Hebrews. All right, so David whips the Philistines again. At this point, the Philistines are just getting run over by David. The Bible says that David took the city of Hamath-Ammah from the Philistines. The name of the city means mother city. I don't know exactly what this means, except if someone messed with your mama, you'd be pretty upset. But the Philistines were powerless to stop David, powerless to stop someone from messing with their mama. And that's bad news for the Philistines. So there's an interesting event that occurs here, according to the legends of the Jews. Don't fail to hear what I just said, please. I'm quoting the legends of the Jews, so the chance of this being a 100% legend is probably quite accurate, but it's a pretty cool story, so here we go. According to the legends of the Jews, the Philistines pulled David aside and asked for peace and appealed to his history with the story of their past. According to the legends of the Jews, the Philistines placed their trust in a relic from Isaac the bridle of a mule which the patriarch had given to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, as a pledge of his covenant between Israel and his people. This is from Genesis 26, not the bridle part, just the peace treaty. It appears David pulls back to consider his options and speaks to his counselors. He probably makes a truce with the Philistines, not because of the bridle, but because he has other plans, but only after garrisoning Philistine lands to keep his gains. More to follow regarding this bridal and the ancient peace treaty. After David defeats the Philistines, he turns east towards Moab. We don't have a lot of detail on this, except the Bible says David conquered them and put to death two-thirds of them by the measurement of a length of a cord, which is pretty crazy. Now that David has secured his southern, western, and eastern flanks, with the exception of the Edomites, he turns north. To the north was the kingdoms of Aram and Zobah, and above them was Hamath. Hamath was at war with Aram and Zobah. Think southern Turkey versus Syria. We have to believe David got some great intel, and according to Josephus, there was northern kingdoms in support of the Philistines in their previous battles at Jerusalem, and David probably had a great context for war against Zobah. Also, David would have had to have known there was a war between Hamath and Aram and Zobah. So adding David to the mix, we've got four kings with huge armies. Zobah was marching north to the Euphrates to attack the kingdom of Hamath when David strikes his rear. Here is the result, 2 Samuel eight three. Moreover, David defeated Hadiezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah, when he went to restore his monument at the Euphrates River. David captured a thousand of his chariots, seven thousand charioteers, and twenty thousand foot soldiers. He hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses. so David has whipped up on Zoba by marching through northern Israel and coming up and behind Zoba as his forces were marching north. Hadiazar lost twenty thousand troops and seven thousand charioteers second Samuel eight five When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadiezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 of them. He put garrisons in the Aramean kingdoms of Damascus, and the Arameans became subject to him and brought tribute. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David took the gold shields that belonged to the officers of Hadiezer and brought them to Jerusalem. From Teba and Barah, towns that belonged to Hadiezer, King David took a great quantity of bronze. Another 20,000 plus troops later, David has established himself way north of the current realm of Israel. In addition, the treasures taken from his enemies will be astounding. In addition to the gold shields that he recovers, he takes great quantities of gold and silver and bronze. And there's even sets of gold quivers as well. Here is Josephus' account after these two major battles. Now when David had made an expedition against Damascus and other parts of Syria, and had brought it into subjection, and had placed garrisons in the country, and appointed them that they should pay tribute, he returned home. He also dedicated to God at Jerusalem the golden quivers, the entire armory which the guards of Hadad used to wear, which Shishak, the king of Egypt, took away when he fought with David's grandson Rehoboam, with a great deal of other wealth which he carried out of Jerusalem. However, these things will come to be explained in their proper places hereafter. Now as for the king of the Jews, he was assisted by God, who gave him great success in his wars, and he made an expedition against the best cities of Hadiezer, Beta, and Macon. So he took them by force and laid them waste. Herein was found a very great quantity of gold and silver, besides that sort of brass, which is said to be more valuable than gold, of which brass Solomon made that large vessel, which is called the Brazen Sea, and those curious lavers when he built the temple of God. Now that David has smashed the two kingdoms in the modern area of Syria in two huge battles, the fourth kingdom, Hamath, was delighted for David had defeated his enemies, 2 Samuel 8-9. When Tal, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadiezer, he sent his son Joram to King David to greet him, and to congratulate him on his victory in battle over Hadiezer, who had been at war with Tal. Joram brought with them articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. King David dedicated these articles to the Lord, as he had done with the silver and the gold from all the nations he had subdued, Edom and Moab, Ammonites and the Philistines and Malach. He also dedicated the plunder taken from Hadiezer, son of Rehob, king of Joba. If this wasn't enough, David smashed the Edomites to top off his campaigns, Second Samuel 8.13, and David became famous after he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to him, and the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. At the end of these campaigns, I'm guessing over a two-year period, David triumphed over all of his enemies in victory or peace from the borders of Egypt to the Euphrates River in fulfillment of Abraham's promise. And if we continue our pulls from the legends of the Jews, there was another monument or ancient peace treaty pulled out, the first being the treaty recalled by the Philistines that there would be peace between Israel and the Philistines. But according to the legends of the Jews, the people of Hadad pulled the same legal card as well, hoping to get out of tribute and garrisons in their land, and they did their homework and referred to the peace treaty between Laban and Jacob, that there would not be war with them. Here's the account. The Aramean general indulged in the belief that David would treat the Syrians lightly, or gently, on account of the monument, still in existence at that time, which Jacob and Laban had erected on the frontier between Palestine and Aram, as a sign of their covenant that neither they nor their descendants should wage war against each other. So crazy, huh? I thought so. If this was true, hey, it's just a legend anyways. It probably took David back, and he knew their stories and their history, and they pulled the legal card peace treaty on them. Again, he referred to his counselors on this one, and I saved their response for a future episode. But I will give a hint that the Arameans were not going to be defeated so easily, and they were already calling upon a mercenary king from across the Euphrates and a giant named Shobach to be present for a future battle with Israel. And when it was all over, David was nearly master of all of the western current Middle East. Every kingdom was allied to him or at peace with him, or conquered by him. The land promise was fulfilled, and all of a sudden, He was absolutely wealthy, and his country was one of the most feared on the planet. I wonder what it was like to be at a place of this kind of authority. We'll see in a future episode how overflowing honor touches his heart, and the king displays humility and honor to a level few have ever understood. But at an even later episode, we see the dangers of humanity and the price of human power, and the greed and lust and what happens to a man of power when he slips out of the grace of God. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, I want to paint a picture of this monumental moment where David brought back the treasures from the kingdoms and his military conquest. David marched with his army into Jerusalem, and he took off his sword and armor And walked into the tabernacle, as the Levites unloaded wagons of treasures, and the gold shields and the gold quivers which everyone just marveled at, and he walked up to the end of the tent and the Ark of the Covenant. David fell to his knees with tears in his eyes, he fell prostrate and cried before the Lord for a while. Then he pulled out a parchment and unrolled it, and he read what came to be known as Psalms eighteen. For in this moment, Israel's territory reached to the extent of Abraham's promise, and David knew it. Overwhelmed and in love and awestruck by the God he served, he read his prayer in Psalm. We conclude this episode with the end of Psalm 18. Psalm 18:37. I pursued my enemies and overtake them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them so that they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as wind-blown dust. I trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of the people. You have made me the head of nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners cower before me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man you rescued me. Therefore I praise you, Lord. Among the nations I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David, and to his descendants forever. hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Talk to everyone in a few weeks. We're headed to Destin, Florida for a week of vacation. Don't forget to check out the website, messagetokings.com, if you haven't yet. There's a whole host of CDs out there for purchase, and there's an area to give to the podcast as well. Also, of course, during this break, if you feel like it, shoot me an email at messagetokings at gmail.com as we ponder what to do for the milestone episode 100, which is in a few weeks.